0: Starting in the book of Genesis, God entered into a partnership with us. He made us in his image, and then he gave us certain responsibilities, certain things that we were responsible for. Adam and Eve were responsible to till the garden, to to take care of uh, his creation, to, to go out and to be fruitful and multiply. God made a covenant with them, even when they fell into sin. He came and he rescued them from that he made a covenant he made a sacrifice and these divine human partnerships God and us have driven history ever since history is driven by by our relationship with God sometimes good and sometimes not good on our end always good on his end they reached a climax in the life of Jesus everything comes back to Jesus Everything is solved through Jesus. Everything is empowered through Jesus. Everything comes to life through Jesus. It's all about Him. But He doesn't exclude us, He brings us into partnership with Him through the gift of His Holy Spirit. He's made a covenant with us. And a covenant is a relationship between two partners or more that make some promises to each other, some binding promises. And then they promise to work together to reach a common goal. Covenants define an obligation and a commitment. And sometimes those words, ooh, we don't like them. But they are for our benefit. They are for our good. They're different from a contract. A covenant is different from a contract. Because a contract isn't as relational and personal as a covenant. We're familiar with a relational personal covenant. That is the covenant that you witness when you go to someone's wedding. When you go to a wedding, you hear two people speaking to one another, entering into a formal relationship, binding themselves together for as long as they both shall live, for a lifetime of faithfulness and devotion. Those two people are imperfect, but our God is perfect in his promises towards us. Think about the the vows for a moment. Think about the vows that these two people, a husband and a wife, make at that altar on that day of their wedding, when they make that covenant. But think about it in relation to God and his people. Listen to the words that are familiar. In the name of God, I, God, take you, the church, to be my wife to have and to hold from this day forward for better or for worse for richer or for poorer in sickness and in health to love you and to cherish you for the rest of your life sometimes it says for as long as you both shall live but we have eternal life through Jesus hallelujah so he has promised to love us and cherish us just as a husband will love his wife and cherish his wife. And it sometimes ends in the formal traditional vows with, this is my solemn vow or my solemn promise to you. That's a covenant. One of the few covenants that we we all have witnessed. So God has partnered himself with us and he makes promises that he always keeps. Sometimes we have a hard time with that because we're looking from a very limited perspective at what he has promised us, but he will fulfill all of his promises. We can see it more clearly, thank God, through his word, which has been preserved for us. We see that that when the world became wicked beyond God's imagination in the days of Noah, God preserved the world through Noah. He initiated redemption through Abraham. He established a nation through Moses. He promised an eternal shepherd king through David. And then he fulfilled all of that in his covenant with us through Jesus Christ on the cross. Jesus fulfills it all. So with each covenant, God promises and plans to save the world through the seed of the woman. If you go back to the book of Genesis, way back, he made a promise even in that fall that from the woman's seed, from a child, one day he would bring redemption for the whole world. And we see that now in King Jesus. King Jesus, this is our gospel message. That every people and every nation and every tribe from every tongue will trust in Jesus for salvation and become part of God's covenant family forever. Praise the Lord. We are part of that. A small part. A small part. But, but let's not under, underestimate what God is able to do, even with small things. Remember, King David was the smallest of the boys of Jesse. They had to go looking for him because they didn't even count him when, when Samuel came to anoint the next king. They brought all the brothers, the big brothers, the burly brothers, and all the hairy brothers and the skinny brothers. They brought them all. And when they got all done, Samuel was like, nope, 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 nope. Next, next, next. It's like he was swiping on his phone. Next, next, next. And then he found the one. Go and get that little one, and we will anoint him as king. God chooses little things... To confound the wise, like to say, how did that happen through those few people? Israel was the smallest of nations. How could they become God's instrument for His grace and His mercy and His salvation to the whole world? Because it's God who does it through the small, through the insignificant. Through the week, God's strength shows up. God's power shows up. If we were big and strong, we could just say, well, look what we did over these past 50 years. We're awesome. We're not that big. We're not that strong. Our God is. Our God is. So in this new covenant, we have received forgiveness of sins and then God's empowering Holy Spirit to live within us so that we can be self-giving. We can live self-giving lives because that's the image of God. God gives of himself so that others would be blessed. So his people, his church, are self-giving people. They give of themselves. We've seen examples of it all week with all of you participating in one way or the, the other in bringing together this celebration. You gave of yourself. You cooked a turkey, even though you don't like turkey, Cindy. You, know? you, you, you did things that, that you maybe don't even enjoy, like swept or mopped the floor, you know? but you did it because you're self-giving. You're, you're living out the example or the image of Christ in the world so that others can see our servant king. That's the thing about Jesus. He brings the, sort of the world upside down. says if you want to be great in god's kingdom learn to be a servant of all humble yourself before the lord and he will lift you up there's this interesting dynamic at work that only god can lead us in and, and guide us in by his holy spirit so because of jesus we can live righteous lives we can live fruitful lives we can partner with him to bring about part of his kingdom Now, he's in charge of the whole thing through all the generations, through all of history. But we have a part in it. And I want you to see that now as we look a little bit at Holden Chapel's commitment to partnership these past 50 years. The people. You are Holden Chapel. You are the people of Holden Chapel. But the people who partner with God are able to to co-mission with him, to do the things that he's doing, to join him in the work that he's continuing to do from generation to generation, which is a work of salvation. Salvation, bringing people to Christ so they may receive the blessing that God wants to give us from day one when he created us for the earth. So our partnership is with God don't get the wrong idea. Even as they talk about a few of these, these big things, I want you to realize only God, only God could make that possible. Only God. God has done great things through this little church in this used to be a little town. Now it's a little bigger. This town of Holden, this area of the world, God has done great things. And he is not finished yet. Amen? He is not finished yet. So let's remember the purpose of our church, the purpose statement that we looked at way back in January when this year started. The purpose statement is that we would grow together as a church, ever moving towards wholeness in Christ. We need that. We need healing. We need restoration. We need to be made new, made whole in Christ for ourselves. And for others, by knowing him more, that personal connection, each one of us can know God personally. And then better making him known. Not great grammar, but it works, right? Knowing him better, as we get to know him better, we then shine more brightly and better make him known. We're able to reach out, love, care for, bless others in the name of Jesus. So we know the great commission, and we call it the commission because it is that mission partnered with God. Jesus made clear to us in Matthew 28, verse 19, where he says, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them, teaching them, helping them to know who I am and what I have done and what I've promised to do. So in 1972, in fact, even before that, before we were incorporated or established as a church, there was a Bible study, a group of people who got together and said, I think God's doing something by his spirit. He's, he's forming us into something, some type of body that can work together for his glory. But from 1972 till 2022, we've been making disciples. And what I want you to see is the difference between these two maps, the blue is all the places all the nations that hold in chapel this little church has sent missionaries to mission teams done mission projects in sent resources for the missionaries that are already there on the ground there's a list a mile long, and I won't go through it, but it just includes the, the continents of, of Africa and Asia and the Pacific Rim and the Middle East and Europe and the former Soviet Union and the Caribbean and Central America, as well as all the states in the United States. We have sent people like Dr. Rick and his wife to Liberia we send people like Olga and Yasha who came from Belarus, but we have sent them back and are sending them back again on Tuesday. Olga's going back to bless the people in Belarus in the name of God so that Jesus can be known. We've, we've been able to send teams of people, teams of people that have gone and experienced missions firsthand. We've gone and done work projects or gone and done evangelism on the streets or or gone and done medical clinics or gone and built an orphanage. We've done so many things. This little church, but in the power of God, was able to go and establish churches, plant churches, minister to churches that were already already in existence and to help them to grow. Pastor Gary told us last night at the dinner, he said, you know, my little church, Covenant Evangelical in Barrie, really had the seed money given to us in an offering from Holden Chapel to establish another church nearby. So nearby, as well as to the ends of the earth, God has sent the people of Holden Chapel on a co-mission. Now, it's interesting because it's for the glory of his name. It's, I'm going to mention money, right? Because I want you to understand that it does take resources. And in these past 50 years, this little church has funneled over $4 million to spreading the gospel around the world. That's a lot of money. $4 million. And that's not even factoring in inflation. So it's even more than that, right? God has used you and me when we give our little pennies, when we give our dollars, when we give, when we give our tithes to him, when we give what we can out of the cheerfulness of our hearts, he takes it and multiplies it and reaches the nations because that's what God does. And when his people join with him, they'll do it too. When they get his heart for the world, they'll do it too. And so that's exciting. The other big ministry that we've been a part of for for decades now is our school ministry. We have a school ministry that has ministered to over a thousand children. That's a lot of kids. A Christian school right here in central Massachusetts, it's a rare thing. There aren't many left, but we're here and we're ministering every day of the week the gospel. Through the lives of the teachers, but also through the word of God as it's taught to them, through their curriculum and integrating it with what they're learning about math and science and geography and in and, and social studies, that God's word can be incorporated into that to help them to grow. And they have graduated and gone on to be pastors and ministers and missionaries and worship leaders and parishioners who give of their lives so that the gospel can continue. It's been a blessing to help lead over these past couple decades. But I wasn't the first one who was leading. I was following in the footsteps of this man, my dad, who's going to come up here in a moment. Some of you know him well. You love him like he's your own dad. Some of you say, who is that old man? I don't even know him. (laughs) That's an actual quote (laughs) from one of you. I won't point any fingers. But before we do that, I want to thank all of you for being part of this. And we have a list of our ministries because it isn't just our school or just our missions and missions program. It's our evangelism in the area. It's, it's the care ministries, the Christian support, the counseling that's offered. It's the hospitality, just helping someone to feel welcome, that they belong here, that they're not a stranger to us, but they are our friends through Jesus Christ. It's all of our children's and youth ministry, not just our school but all the things that we do throughout the year to continue to bring Jesus to people. It's our home groups. Some of you lead there. Some of you are part of that. It's our men and women's ministries. It's our prayer. Prayer is essential for all of this. It's our prayer and our worship that our hearts would really be set toward God, not toward ourselves. We live in that culture that wants to turn everything to be about us. It is not about us. It is about God and God alone. And through the preaching and teaching that some of you offer and I'm privileged to offer on a regular basis, God's word is the foundation of everything that we do. And when we get off track, he corrects us. He helps us so that we can walk with him, that he can be our good shepherd. So let's pray. I'm going to pray for my dad and my mom. Why don't you guys stand up for a minute? The both of you. Come on, mom. I know you don't want to. You're going to stay right there? You're going to stay right there? (laughs) No. All right, all right. God, I thank you for these two who have laid a foundation that we've been able to build on. I thank you, Lord, that they didn't do it in their strength. They did it in their weakness. But you are strong. You are mighty. You are the foundation rock, the cornerstone, Jesus Christ. And so we praise you for being our strong cornerstone. We praise you for these two who helped us through the the ups and the downs of their decades. And we look forward to hearing what you will share with us this morning from God's word. Holy Spirit, open our hearts and continue your mission with us in this world that we would be light and salt as these two were in Jesus' name, amen. Well, Dad, come on up. There you go.
1: Come stand here a minute. Someone said the other day that either I'm shrinking or he's growing because we're almost the same height. (laughs) Are we really? I guess so. Say yes.
0: (laughs) He's always been taller than me. Oh. Take it off mute. Yeah. That's I don't know. I
1: guess who that's awful echo there you go, you got it. If you have your Bible with you or if you want to use the one that's are there some there available? Okay. Turn please with me to John chapter ten. I'm going to read some portions of this particular chapter, and especially that which pertains to the shepherd and his sheep, the shepherd and his flock. So just follow me. We'll begin with verse one. I tell you the truth, the man who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs in by some other way is a thief and a robber. The man who enters by the gate is the shepherd of his sheep. The watchman opens the gate for him and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and he leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. Skip down to verse 9 and 10. I am the gate. Whoever whoever enters through me will be saved. He will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. Skip over to 14. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep, I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice, and they shall be one flock and one shepherd. And then concluding over in verse 27, my sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one can snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my father's hand. I and the father are one. Father, this morning, I pray in the name of Jesus, let your word penetrate our hearts and set us free and make us whole to be the sheep who know our shepherd, who listen to his voice. Who follow Him and are one with Him and with the Father and with each other. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I have to begin by <coughs> giving you some backstory, some testimony as to why these. Verses of scripture are so significant. Um, Marsha and I, in the mid 1960s, were living in our hometown in Madison, Maine. I was teaching high school, um, boys' physical education, I was coaching football. She was busy raising a couple of rambunctious kids. And in the midst of all of that, uh, we had an encounter. Which, which we need to share with you, I need to share with you, for that you understand why God put in my heart to share this with you today. We were good church-going people. We were in church every Sunday. We were involved in prayer meeting. We were involved in leading the youth group. <clears throat> we were trying to be a good witness for Christ in the community in which we lived. But on the inside, there was a battle going on, as there is in every human being. And between us, there was a battle going on, as there is between every married couple. And it's a battle of wills. It's a battle of wills. And our battle got pretty serious. Serious to the point where, if we had not been good Baptists, who looked down so severely against divorce, we probably would have taken that route. It was that serious. We were living in a new home. I was being successful as a football coach. I was enjoying the job I had teaching physical education, but things at home were really rough. And so somewhere by God's grace and God's mercy, the pastor and his wife of the church we were attending suggested that some of the physical problems I was having because they didn't know the rest of the problems They just knew that I passed out, sometimes after football games, that I had incredible pain in my stomach. And the pastor came in after one of those episodes after a game, and he came into my bedroom, and he said to me, just this one sentence, Dan, it's possible that your problem could be spiritual. Now, how would he dare say that to a guy who was in church every Sunday, who was working with the youth group? who was doing everything he could, who was tithing his earnings into the offering. But at the same time, his wife was suggesting to my wife that maybe there were some spiritual issues. And so finally, finally, on a night we'll never forget, after another battle royal, after another disappointing experience, God moved in our hearts in such a way that we knelt together beside our bed and we prayed. And this is what we prayed. God, we're a mess. We're in a mess. We're fighting each other. And we have to be fighting you too. And tonight we surrender our lives to you. We will go where you want us to go. We will do whatever you want us to do. We will be anything you want us to be. So here we are, mess and all. And God began that night to change things in our relationship, to heal things in our marriage. And we had decided after our second child, we had a girl and we had a boy. And that was a perfect family. We did not want any more children. That was it. And God put in our hearts, I want you to have another child. And he put it in our hearts together. And thus your pastor was born. Interestingly enough, okay, God, that's enough. And six years later, his younger brother, who is now our pastor in Maine, was born for exactly the same reason. I understand this. We got the message together. God wants us to have another child. It wasn't an accident, it wasn't a mistake, it wasn't unplanned. He was purposed by God. And so God began to change things in our lives. And we began, and I want to make this distinction, because I think we've confused a lot of people. We say, God said to us, well... There's not an audible voice. God doesn't speak in your ear and say, okay, Dan, this is what I want you to do now. In fact, in the book of Nehemiah, in the second chapter and the 11th verse, there's a beautiful little line. And Nehemiah had come back to Jerusalem and he's there with a mission. He's going to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem because God has said, and he said, I had not said to anything what my God had put in my heart, right? So I think an awful lot of what we've said through the years as Christians that God told me this, or God said this, or God said, go do that. We really ought to be saying, God put in my heart to do this, or to do that, because that's a kind of a growing knowing that comes within us. We know God is communicating with us. God wants our attention. God wants us to change direction. He wants us to do something different or do something specific. And, and, and it's not always, though it can be, a sudden light of opening. But many times it's a growing knowing. And that's, that's what began to happen. And so I was restless uh, then restless about coaching and thought maybe I should move up in coaching and I made application for a Christian college in the Midwest and they sent me a contract and I got to tell you something we were praying all the time God what do you want us to do what do you want us to do show us guide us we want to be whatever you want I got that contract in the mail I looked at it when I got home for lunch that day from school and I thought wow this is a big deal But I don't have time to deal with it now. So when I get home tonight, we'll talk about it. When I got home that night, and Masha swears she did not destroy it. When I I got home that night, we could not find that contract. And we never found it. We hunted high and low, and we never found it. And we said, okay, God, I guess maybe that's not your plan. It's not your plan. And we went to a missionary who spoke one night with our pastor and his wife. He didn't speak about being a missionary or anything else. I don't even remember what he spoke about, but we went home that night. And as we were getting ready to go to sleep at bed, I said to Masha, I got to say something to you. And she said, I got to say something to you. And I said, well, okay, I love you. And she said, I love you. I, that, that's Okay, we knew that. I, but She said, okay, you go first. And I said, you know, I think God is calling us into full-time Christian service. I didn't have any idea what that meant. I just, there was something in my heart and she began to cry. Boo-hoo, blubbering something off. And I said, oh no, she didn't want to hear that. And what did she say? That's exactly what I was going to say to you. Hello. And the Bible says the two become one. We have one Lord, one Savior. He has one voice. He has one will. He has one purpose. He has one way. And so he's going to bring us together in his way, in his will. So here's the the kicker. When you surrender to God, when you start listening to his voice, When you commit yourself to being obedient to voice, he's going to call you to do some totally insane things. Things that don't make any sense at all. Things that no rational human being would do. Like, resign your job. Sell your new house. Apply for seminary. Move your family to Massachusetts with no home, no job, no knowing what it. Did, only because that's what he's putting in your heart. That's what the good shepherd is saying. That's the voice that's coming. When you've surrendered, then you say, "Okay, okay." And we walk through miracles, miracles of God's provision housing for us to that seminary. We bought a new trailer. We sold our house. We paid off our bills. We paid off the mortgage. We had a little money and we made a down payment on a house trailer. Had it moved into the trailer park, moved in. It was lovely. And a lady sent us a letter and said, please send me your payment book. I will make the payments on your trailer. Okay. The financial manager at the seminary called me into his office and he said, Dan, this is anonymous. I can't tell you who, but you should write a thank you note to the person who's paying your tuition. Never knew who. God, after a year in seminary, moved us to East Gloucester to pastor the church there. We moved into a 13 room parsonage with no furniture. And if you ever lived in a trailer, you know, the only thing we took with us was the ironing board and the TV. <laughs> Everything else is built into those things. So there we were in this parsonage. I was now the pastor of the church with zero pastoring experience. Saying, God, what do I do? He said, you're doing well. Just keep listening to me. Just keep doing what I tell you to do, just follow me. And so I thought, okay, we need a house full of furniture. How do you get a house full of furniture? We didn't have any money to buy a house full of furniture. I have to tell you, this it's gonna take a little time. I gotta tell you this. What he put in my heart was to call moving and storage businesses in the greater Gloucester area. So I thought, "Ah, I'll start with Beverly. And I called and I said, is there any chance that you've got a house full of furniture that somebody put in your storage and they never paid for, or they died or it, and it's now yours and you can get rid. Why are you crazy? You know. So I kept calling closer and closer. And I called one right in Gloucester. Now we're living in East Gloucester, which is connected to Gloucester. I called one in Gloucester, the only one that was there. And the guy says, you know what? We just got clearance on a house full of furniture from the court. It is now ours. It's been stored here for years. Where are you? I said, I'm on Chapel Street. Guess what? He said, it came from Chapel Street. <laughs> I said, you're kidding me. I... He said, come on over. He said, we'll unpack it. They pack it all in a big stack in a warehouse. We'll unpack it and you see what you want. So Marsha and I went over and they unpacked, and they unpacked a a, a Filipino mahogany dining room set, beautiful, with a buffet and chairs and tables, all all the stuff. And they unpacked bedroom sets. I gotta tell you this, we are still sleeping in the same bedroom set that we got in 1966. Now, We've had some in between, and that was in storage for a while. But that's where we are. Bedroom sets for us, for the kids. Wingback chairs for the living room. We've still got those wingback chairs in the living room. Right? God didn't give us junk. He gave us good stuff. And we, okay, and this is the best part, okay? We say, there's a lot of stuff there. And we say, well, yeah, we can use this. We can, yeah, we can use this. So they put in the we could use over here and that we weren't really didn't need over there. So, and I'm saying, okay, okay, that's going to do it. No more. I'm sure we can't afford that. How much do I owe you? And he said, looked at the pile and he looked at me and he said, $75 $75 if you take it home, 95 if we deliver it. <laughs> Serious. 95 bucks. we furnished a 13-room home. Okay. This is the shepherd. Now, what did it take? It took listening to his... First, no, it took being surrendered to him. And then it took listening to his voice, hearing what he put in our hearts. And then it took stepping out where we didn't know what the provision was going to be. But if God calls you to it, he'll make provision for it. If you do it in his way, in his time, and the way he wants it done, he'll cover it. And we learned that. And so then in... 1975, late in the year, we had built a new sanctuary there. The church had boomed. It was full. It was packed. Uh, God began to say inside again, wrap it up here. You've done what I brought you here to do. I think mostly it was for me to learn. He taught me a lot more than seminary ever did. And I'm grateful for seminary, some of it. A little of it. But I'm grateful for those 11 years at East Closter. And so I knew and had let the leadership of the church know that in a few months, I was going to be done from there. They needed to be looking for a pastor, and I was leaving. Had no clue where. I just, again, that's what God had put in our hearts. And so one Sunday morning, five guys in suits ties, looked like important people. We had one man in church who wore a suit to church, and he was the vice president of the local bank. And other than that, we were kind of a casual bunch. And the church was full, so these guys came in. They came down the side aisle. The only place left to sit was right across the front pew, which was empty. And in walked John McNaugher, Stanley Hine, Roger Munyon, McCurdy, Archie McCurdy, and Dick Brooks. And I'm there, looking at these guys, and they take out their Bibles and their notebooks, and there they are, and everybody's, who are these guys? Is this the FBI, or (laughs) what's going on? So church is over, And I'm at the door and people are going out and Archie McCurdy I guess was the spokesman and he came by and he said, Dan, uh, we're from a little town in central Massachusetts from Holden, could we meet with you after lunch? We're gonna go have some lunch and could we meet with you back here? And I said, yeah, sure. And so after lunch, we met in my office And they explained they were from Holden Chapel that had been started as a Southern Baptist Mission Church. It had floundered. Things had gone rocky. The pastor had been dismissed and many of the people dismissed with the pastor. They had a hunk of land and uh, seven acres and they didn't have a parsonage. Uh, They still had a vision for a church. And would I come? And I said, do not sound very appealing to me. <laughs> and I'll never forget it. Archie looked me straight in the eye and he said, if God tells you to, will you come? He's the boss. Yes, of course I'll come if he tells me to. So they scheduled a meeting for Marsh and I to come out and meet with that group and their wives. And we came out and met with them. And on the way back to Gloucester in the cars, Masha said, Never. <laughs> Ain't never going there. I said, We're just going to have to wait and see what the Master says. And what did he say? Go. So I came to a mess. They said, We don't have any money, we have some bills we have to pay. We don't have any place we meet. We haul everything back and forth in a little white trailer. We set it up in the junior high auditorium cafeteria. That's where we meet. But we got seven acres of land. All right. So we started. So we don't have any place for you to live. You'll have to find a place. Oh, great. Okay. But been down that road. And if the master calls, he's going to make provision. So we made the commitment to come. We came in February of 76, and we rented a house from Joe Zodley, who was the owner of the Chevrolet garage. And we lived in that for a few months, and then we bought a house on Main Street from the Harringtons, who were the owners of Sunnyside Ford. I thought that was neat. I always was a car guy. I lived in the Chevy's house, and I lived in the Ford house. I'm strictly a Chevy guy. But, but that was his provision. And we were already here and moved in. And one of the guys from the church came by and said, Dan, funny thing, we never talked about paying you. And we hadn't. They said, Well, here's what we can do. I said, Do what you can do. God's in this. We'll do it. The rest is history. You know the history. We spent 25 years here. We had some exciting times. Had some scary times. But we had to learn to listen. As Tom said earlier, it's God who's done these things. But he does it only when we listen and when we obey. I remember those times. I remember the last one in particular. When they came in with a budget for this building. And I thought, how much money? I never thought in those terms of money. And so I called Don and Doug in and I said, Guys, is it really going to cost us this much money? You really think we should? Dan, if God's in it, we need to do it. Okay. And it was tough. God made provision for every penny. We wandered off sometimes into human wisdom. And I have to be honest with you. You know, we had a neat board of deacons and elders, and in that board, we had a number of good, successful businessmen, and some of those businessmen knew the strategies for successful business, and they began to talk to us about we needed a five-year plan, we needed a 10-year plan. And we went away on a retreat, both boards combined. And we we spent a weekend talking about five-year plan, 10-year plan, came back home and spent more time fine-tuning this five-year plan, 10-year plan. I never had a one-year plan in my life. God today, God tomorrow, he'll take care of tomorrow. I don't need a plan, but we made this plan. And, And for the first time since I'd been here, the first time we did a budget, The first year here, I sat down with the guys and they said, and I'd been through budgets in East Gloucester, and it was a struggle to spend one more penny than you did the other year. It was always an issue. So I'm geared up for this issue. And we get together and we pray, and they say, okay, Pastor, what do you think we ought to be doing next year? What? What do you think we ought to be doing? Well, I think this is what God's put in my heart. We ought to do this and this and this and this. Okay. How much do you think that'll cost? I don't have any idea. Well, let's guess at it. So we guess at how much this costs, how much that'll cost, how much that'll cost. And they said, okay, there's your budget. Never had anything like that. So here we are now with all these, and and I don't mean to put, I'm not putting them down. I'm just saying these successful businessmen with their five-year plan and their 10-year plan, And we sat down and we'd do a budget, and this is several years in, probably 10 10 or 12 years in. We do this budget, and guess what? We had all the things covered that this plan would take care of in this first year. That's the first year and the only year we never got our budget met. And what does that tell you? Hello? What does that tell you? We're not so smart. God doesn't need our help with a five year plan or a 10 year plan if we'll listen to Him, if we'll follow His voice, if we'll do what He wants us to do. Right? So let me get you back to John 10. Real quickly now, in John chapter 10, we find these things Jesus knows His sheep. He calls them by name. He speaks to us. He communicates with us. He leads us. He goes ahead. He doesn't drive us. We need to know this good shepherd. My sheep know me, he says. They know my voice. They listen to me. And they follow me. Saints. Church goers, There's only one way you can know the good shepherd. We want to know him. Our mission, our purpose is know him and make him know. But know him intimately. Know him as the one who by his mercy and grace saves us. By his precious blood cleanses us from all unrighteousness. By his spirit in filling us empowers us to live the Christian life. But there's still the battle of the wills. There's still the battle of the wills. It's our will against his. And we want to do it our way, and he has a better way. He has a wonderful way. But we need to grow in an intimacy with him so that we can know his voice, know how he speaks to us, know how he leads us, and that it always lines up with his words. It's an intimacy like the father and the son. In the middle of this, in verse 15, He says this, just as the father knows me and I know the father, right? He's talking about knowing the sheep and they're knowing him. And he said, it's just like the father and I, it's just like our relationship. And listen to the things Jesus said. The words that I speak to it are not my words. They're the ones the father gives me. The works that I'm doing aren't my works. They're the works that the father is doing. And I join him in doing those works. In fact, Jesus said, by myself, I can do nothing. I can only do what the Father gives me to do. That's the intimacy. That's the relationship. That's the dependency. And so only when we realize that, our best efforts are gonna fail. And notice this, notice this. You know, I say these things, I don't wanna be misunderstood. But I guess I am being critical. Somebody on the West Coast had a big church, and he wrote a big book, and he had all this stuff going on, the purpose-driven church. And all of a sudden, that was the rage across the country, the purpose-driven church. you got to have purpose. Jesus doesn't say, come on, guys, get this done, get this done, get this done. He says, I'll show you what to do. Follow me. He doesn't drive his sheep. He leads his sheep. So his sheep need to be tuned in so they hear his voice, so they recognize his voice. They need to be surrendered so they can commit to his voice, so they can respond and do what he's asking them to do. And so just honestly, take a look at your life. Who's calling the shots? Are you living where the master, the good shepherd, wants you to live? Are you doing what the Good Shepherd wants you to do? Are you being what the Good Shepherd empowers you to be? Or are you doing the thing you always wanted to do? The thing that makes you happy. The thing that satisfies you. That puts you where you want to be. What are the benefits of this? He says in verse 10. Oh, wait a minute. I got got to finish with this. Jesus culminates in Gethsemane. The whole will battle. He's honest with the Father about not wanting to go through with this plan. But he says what? Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. That's where we, and the only place, we will function in the fullness of what God has for us. When we've reached that place where we say, not my will, but yours be done. I want to hear your voice. I want to follow your leading. I want to go where you want me to go, do what you want me to do, be what you want me to be. That's the only way we can walk with a good shepherd and know the benefit of the full life. In verse 10, he says, I will give you life to the full. Life to the full. You know, somebody said, lead a noble life and then you get to enjoy it twice. Once while you're living it, and the second time when you're old and you're going back over it, you get to enjoy it again. Well, Masha and I qualify. We're old, right? But life has been wonderful and amazing following Jesus. It's been full and rich and precious following Jesus. He gives life to the full. Verse 16. Verse 16 says, I have one sheep, one pastor, there's one shepherd, one sheep, and and they all will be one. They too will listen to my voice, and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. I'm telling you, in the church, the only oneness comes when we are collectively surrendered to the will of the good shepherd. When you want it your way, and they want it their way, and it ain't never going to happen his way. Right? But surrender to the good shepherd brings us into oneness, a fullness of life, and a oneness of direction and purpose and God's faithful provision. Then he says, in verse 28, produces eternal life. At this stage of the game, we look forward every day to going where so many of our peers have gone. We went back to visit the church in East Gloucester a few weeks ago, and there were half a dozen folks left who were there when we were there. And guess what? They were all widows. The guys are gone. The guys are gone. And when we have the assurance of the Good Shepherd, that he'll lead us through every journey of this life, and he'll lead us through the valley of the shadow and bring us into his eternal kingdom, there's life to the full. Paul says, we're followed up by life. Followed up by life. It can't get any better than that. But we better be doing it here, practicing it here, getting the fullness of life here so that we enjoy it there. Don't misunderstand me. I'm going to say one more thing and then I'm going to shut up and get out of here. I have no idea how long I went. It doesn't matter. I'm going to finish anyway. I think, saints, prayer is important. Prayer is absolutely important. But I think we burn God's ear too many times and too long praying for something that we have no conviction that it's his will. If we would be still and listen and hear what he wants to do and then get with him in the doing of it. it would be far more fruitful. I'm not saying don't pray. Don't, don't misunderstand me. But don't think prayer is only a one-way conversation. You crying out to God. You're trying to twist God's arm to get what you want done. No, prayer is a place where you come and surrender to him. And say, God, what do you want to do? What do you want me to do? What do you want me to say? Who do you want me to share with? Then listen. Listen. Hear his voice. Whether it's a growing knowing in your heart. Whether he actually speaks to you. When you really want to hear his voice, God has all the wisdom and ways in the world to get his message across. He does. So be ready to listen. Individually, cultivate that intimacy. Collectively, cultivate that intimacy. As a church, cultivate that intimacy where you know his voice where you listen, where you follow, where you surrender to his will. And let him build the best life you could ever imagine. Let him build the best church you could ever imagine. Let him make the future, the next 50 years, the next however many years you have, here or collectively here as a church, accomplishing what? He alone can accomplish and wants you simply to be surrendered, to be listening, to be following, to be obedient. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that you're a good, good God. Thank you that you have a heart for the world we live in. Thank you that you've offered a solution. If we will but listen. And surrender to you. And to your ways and your wills. You'll guide us through. You'll make provision. You'll set our path straight. You'll heal our marriages. You'll heal our families. You'll build your church. Yes, it's your church. And you are the head of your church. So we better be tuned into you to allow your church to become everything you purpose for it to be. May that be our hearts, Lord, from this day forward. In Jesus' name. amen. Amen. Amen.